Every journey begins with a question. Our journey begins with this one. How can we lead to make the world better? Here we explore journeys of great success and accomplishment, confronting challenges and overcoming obstacles with leaders from around the globe whose experience covers a vastly diverse range of background, sector, roles and experience. One common thread unites them all. They are all leaders striving to make the world better. They are all better world leaders. I'm Tim Collins, host of the Better World Leaders podcast and founder CEO of 4i Leadership. Welcome to today's journey with another inspiring and insightful leader who shares their experience and learnings as they progress along their path to make the world better. In the second episode of Better World Leaders, our conversation is with Simon Glenn Denning, a former global executive and entrepreneur. In the conversation that awaits you, we reflect on the twists and turns of a career that has one very consistent theme, that as a leader, you are there to serve your team and customers through your principles. Simon's professional aspirations began in athletics, but after an unusual injury stopped that dream in its tracks, he pivoted and took his first entrepreneurial step, first qualifying and then running a business as a myotherapist. After selling this venture, he was offered a role in a corporate and found that taking a consistent approach of serving his team and customers based on his core values led to rapid success. Quickly, he found himself leading Australia and then was soon on and up into global roles, leading both across the European, African and Middle Eastern region and then Asia Pacific. During these corporate tenures, he gained invaluable experience in Africa, working with local not-for-profits in Rwanda and found that he benefited not only from the sense of contributing but also from learning as a leader, especially around purpose, resilience, and the power of consistent communication. After moving on from corporate life, Simon's applied all of his experience and insights to found an online fitness company, Welcome Fit, which he recently sold. He now focuses his energy on a new endeavor, Raised Hand, which helps out-of-work professionals contribute their skills and time to start-up businesses that need help to navigate the turbulent market conditions imposed by COVID-19 restrictions. Please join me in welcoming Simon Lendenny. to the Better World Leaders podcast and today we're welcoming Simon Glendening. Simon, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tim. Great to be here and really looking forward to a chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for the, those that are uh, intending, you know, sort of uh, tracking a few more of the shows, there's, there's, a, there's a strong family connection um, that's brought Simon and I together today, which we, uh, we may or may not touch on or we may leave as a grand reveal for, uh, for later on. But um, Simon, you know, you and I haven't met, you know, this is our, our, our sort of, you know, our, our first long form, you know, sort of virtual interaction. Um, just very quickly, just sort of, you know, tell us where you are and, uh, and what the sort of the current, current context is for you. Sure. So I am based in Melbourne, um, married with three kids and uh, we're all now enjoying lockdown and, and learning to live in the new normal of, of the current situation. Uh, but uh, we've also previously lived in Paris as well, which which was a great experience. Um, I've actually just recently finished a bit of an entrepreneurial journey, uh, probably a mistimed business sale, although it was the right thing to do at the time. Um, actually sold an online fitness platform that I built pretty much right before 
uh, COVID became something that people knew a lot about and then got stuck inside and, and online fitness became something that basically everyone wanted to have a go at. So thankfully I'm, I'm still involved in, in that business and it, it's keeping me busy, but uh, might have sold it just a, a few weeks too early. Yeah, the the you know the wonderful lessons of retrospect and you know when we were talking you know sort of last week in the in the sort of the build up to today, um, I I I I will share now you know with the audience I was really impressed with your humility and and the way that you were really looking at that you know sort of uh, you know essentially reflecting the values you know that, that 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 you spoke about you know sort of in the in the research phase for this discussion today, you know you're still looking at that as a great sort of virtuous, you know, sort of movement of, of service, you know, that, that you've created this thing. And yeah, you know, from a you know selfish monetary perspective, it'd be great if you were still there as a primary equity holder. But uh, the reality is you have created and, and sort of birthed something that is now being of service to, I'd imagine, at least thousands, if not tens of thousands of people and soon to be many more. So at the very least, you can always look back on that you know, as a, as a beautiful creation and a, and a, and a real moment in your story. Yeah, look, it is, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I'd like to have, have thought that I was, I was above, um, the sorts of feelings I, I had initially, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's quite normal to, um, go through a period of self-reflection and, and a little bit of regret, but, um, I got through that fairly quickly because, uh, I, I did realize and look, I think some of my past experience has certainly helped me with this, but I certainly realized that just how fortunate I was to be able to see something that I actually created and, and worked very hard at and, and actually even self-funded, um, create so much good and, and actually get that sort of, uh, you know, rocket ship sort of trajectory that not many founders actually get to see from something they've created. So once I got over the, the kind of the initial emotional response, um, yeah, it's actually been something I've become really quite proud about, and uh, and I'm actually still quite involved with with the team that uh, have acquired it, um, and, and have actually just helped them close a, a deal with a very large global brand. So, you know, it's all still very exciting, and um, I'm just now very grateful, like I said, to have seen something that I've created now now actually helping people around the world. It's in more than sixty countries now, so. It's really cool. No, that's very cool. And yeah, look, I, very human, you know, emotional response. <laughs> um, but again, I think the full, the circle of emotions that you've been through and, and, and the way that, you know, you can talk about it, you know, sort of here today and you know, I anticipate even, even more so moving forward, I think again, really, you know, sort of, uh, you know, resonates with, with the values that, uh, that we're going to talk about and, and, you know, touching on self-reflection and your past experience. Yeah. Let's, let's go there now. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go through the sort of the, the journey. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, where you've come from, where you've been and, and, and what brings you to, to be with us here today? Sure. So, um, sort of quite a, an entrepreneurial child always getting involved in market stalls and, and things like that. Um, but my first business, uh, I guess you could call it was, uh, I actually had a local paper round and um, and thought you know, this isn't too bad and and started to uh, get a couple more paper rounds around the local area and actually outsourced those to some kids in the neighbourhood and took a little bit of a cut. Um, that was one of my first lessons in compliance because some of the local parents probably weren't too keen on me outsourcing work to their kids and building up a bit of an employee base. So that got shut down fairly quickly, but uh, it, it did pretty well while it lasted. Um, 
leaving uh, leaving sort of high school and, and the university piece, uh, I actually had a bit of a crack at, at being a pro athlete. Um, and this was sort of the early days of triathlon when people were running around in their speedos and, and neon and so forth. Yeah. Um, and I got to a junior elite level and, and then actually had a bit of an odd injury where I tore my abdominals and, and that was sort of that basically stopped any elite aspirations in the, the tracks, but um, it really sparked my interest in health. And so um, I went on to, to study myotherapy actually because a, a myotherapist was probably the most effective in terms of treating what I had and, um, and it just became an interest of mine. And so following that, I opened my own clinic um, branched out into corporate health as well and, and started to realize then that it was much more the business side that I actually liked um, more than the treatment. And so um, sold that business and, and at the time was quite fortunate to just go running with a mate and uh, a, th- a third person came along and they happened to be the, the national head of sales for TravelX Global Business Payments. And uh, I had absolutely no prior experience in, in payments or financial <laughs> services. Um, but he, he himself uh, really liked the fact that, you know, I'd run a business and had a bit of um, grit. And uh, he basically said, look, you know, we service SMEs primarily. Um, if, if you can understand their business, you know, we can teach you the, the financial services side. And um, so I, I started there as a salesperson. And uh, so by the end of my first year was running the sales team. Uh, so I did quite well there and then progressively took on larger roles and, and within a few years I was the country manager and um, and that was quite a large quite a large business and a fantastic experience um, and then we were acquired by Western Union which is a global fortune 500 company um, and I was appointed country manager for Australia of the new entity and so that was um, a, a fantastic challenge of my leadership at the time because um, both companies had about 50% population from, from each entity. And so there's a lot of tribalism, um, fierce competitors in the same market. And so all of a sudden we had you know people in the same room that had been competing against each other on the same accounts. And all of a sudden then they shared those accounts because customers were able to have multiple banks and multiple payments providers. And so, you know, having to overcome that sort of environment um, was a fantastic challenge and it really did take um, the, the buy-in from the people around me and, and getting across the functions and uh, basically you know, resetting culture. Um, so we reset our values and um, and, and the, the principles and behaviours that we'd, we'd hold ourselves accountable to and, um, and sort of measure ourselves by. Uh, and that helped us become then one of the highest performing countries for the business. And, and then that, that sort of opened up more opportunities for me. And that's how we ended up in Paris where I then ended up leading the, the, um, the European region and the Middle East and Africa, um, before coming home and, uh, leading Asia Pacific. So that was sort of my, my corporate journey and, um, yeah, you know, an amazing experience. Western Union provided a, a lot of opportunities to, to travel and, and that included, the work I did um, with the NGO in Rwanda. Um, and it also meant a lot of travel and that travel is what led to the ideation for me to start to think about um, online fitness and, um, and trying to keep people who were really time poor physically active. And, and that, that's what resulted in Welcome Fit, which is the, the platform that uh, I built. Well, I didn't build it, I'm not technical, but uh, it was my idea and, and I assembled the team and, and we got it going. Um, and, and that sold just a, a few months ago. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, 
that's a very concise depiction of a heck of a lot of ground and a lot of success, you know, sort of coming, coming, you know, sort of very quickly. Um, and there's a lot, you know, that, that we could spend, you know, sort of some time unpacking. So I'm probably going to do a couple of loops and, and circles back through some of that. Um, but I think the, the, the first part of the response I'm going to give is it's, it's curious to me how often, you know, sort of, talking with people about their journey there is this sort of disruptive moment you know this unforeseen event you know which can be good or bad but tends to be significant one way or the other that that really sort of you know shifts the direction of the rail you know that pun intended you're running on um and but i think in a way you know the success that follows that really kind of depends on you know sort of what your what your core you know, sort of almost at a sort of a spiritual level and certainly at a sort of, you know, principles and values level is. Um, there's another guest who's going to be on the, you know, on the, on the, on the podcast uh, in a couple of episodes who had a lot of similarities, you know, was a pro, was a pro Ironman, uh, you know, was, was sponsored, you know, was doing, you know, Kona and all of the big events. Um, and then he literally got flattened by a four-wheel drive on a freeway when he was at the front of a, of a Peloton. Um and you know, serious skeletal and muscular injury that followed. But what has come after that for him, you know, in his own version, but a not dissimilar journey, you know, has been this really sort of narrowing down of this ethos of service. Um, you know, and he's taken very much like you, you know, sort of a core set of values, and it's taken him on a global journey. Um, you know, into all kinds of, you know, sort of incredible experiences and places, you know, very much like yourself. Um, so it's kind of funny sometimes how, you know, the old adage, it's not about getting knocked down, it's about how you get back up, but really just how, how true that plays. Absolutely. And um, I think the, the how things get done is, is really important. Um, you know, I think a lot of businesses, especially the pace in which things operate now, um, people focus on the what. And the, the how is just so important. If you if you can achieve a result and an outcome with a team that are you're getting right behind a mission that operate to a, a core set of principles or values, um, and you know really focused on providing a, a great service to to their customer or a great product and take great pride in that, um, you know there's there's no no stopping what you can do. But if, if it's just simply all about the end goal, then that's when corners get cut, or that's when it's it's purely about say a return to shareholders, for instance, and you know, that language is even starting to leave the sorts of you know, earnings calls and so forth now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's around or it's, it's coming back to, to culture and behaviours and, and attitude, and that's what drives your growth in, in the right sort of way. So how did you, how do you think this got started for you? What was the, what was the genesis of, of this sort of outlook and this values-driven approach for you, do you think? Uh, well, certainly the way I was raised, you know, I was... Um, you know, I, I was uh, I was had core principles instilled in me from, from throughout my, my childhood and then my upbringing. Um, but I was also really fortunate to have some some great managers along the way um, who helped me grow and develop, and they gave me very honest feedback along the way as well. Um, you know, I'm I'm someone that uh, I, I had an immense fear of failure, and so. Um, one of my earlier managers has spotted that and could see how much pressure I put on myself to achieve something and just helped me understand that, um, you know, I shouldn't purely measure myself based on 
uh, how we're achieving specific goals at that moment. You, know, you, you can't attach happiness just to that. And that, that sort of really empowered me. Um, and while some people might sort of see that as a, as a sort of get out of jail free card, it was anything but. It actually really enabled me to go, oh, cool, actually, I, I can take a breath for a moment, step back, look at what we need to do, rather than just staying you know, so buried in, in what we had to do. Um, and that, that really helped me get through different challenges um, but also become far better at, at leading teams and, and leading, um, leading leaders of teams uh, as my career evolved. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. I mean, again, I think, uh, you know, so often it comes down to those very, you know, sort of early, you know, sort of catalyzing moments in life, you know, like the, the very first time, you know, you run out on a field, you know, uh, you know, as the as the captain of a team, um, you know, all those those kind of you know almost you know sort of cringeworthy moments, you know, when you're a teenager and you know, it's kind of the last thing you want is yeah, you know, sort of a dressing down from your dad or your mom or whoever or the uncle, you know, to sort of say, yeah, did you think about this? This is what you've got to have in mind. But it's actually it's those things that bury deep and then they come and they play out in a very virtuous way later on. Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, reflecting, uh, a lot of it for me was sport. I was a really active kid. And so um, I, I did a mixture of athletics as well as team sports like football. And so I think having that sort of environment uh, around me, which, which meant I was getting a lot of feedback quite often, um, just really helped create that sort of grounding. I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a sort of a like reverse chronological segue just off that comment to come back towards the the NGO experience that you first had, you know, sort of with, you know, sort of um, Western Union. But but just coming off the, the sort of the mention there of sport and the sort of the continuity that, that that's been for you, you know, in life, you, you just sort of, I'm, con- I'm aware that, you know, you, you have this, uh, you know, contribution that you make to a, to a charity in Africa that really uses sport as the conduit to, to sort of, you know, provide opportunity uh, for women. Can you, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. Look, sport is, is something that um, is, is important to me and it's something, you know, I do every day and try and keep my kids active as well. Um, and it's something that, I was able to leverage through a leadership development program that, that Western Union provide to um, to senior executives, and, and that's an opportunity for um, it's about half a dozen executives from across the business each year get the opportunity to become an executive in residence with an NGO. And so the whole idea is um, we're able to use our skills to help benefit that NGO with with a need of theirs, uh, but typically they have some sort of um, ability to help us fill an area of, of development as well. Uh, and typically that's just sort of purely being involved is, is just such an amazing experience. Um, and so for me, um, you know, as we went through the, the different um, sort of criteria setting and then reviewing my skills and, and, and the matching, um, it was evident that there was, a, there was an NGO in Rwanda uh, called APLOS, which is the Association for Kigali Women in Sport. And they um, they use football, soccer, as a way to actually empower women to get out and participate in, a, in a, an event that they organise. And that in itself is quite rare for, for um, in that culture. It's the men that play sport. Uh, the women typically uh, work, work in the farms. 
And so through doing that, all of a sudden the, the women are elevated. They're, they become the, the key focus for that moment. Um, they, they're given some training and they're given their uniforms and so forth and, and they, they play an event. But then around the event, uh, different um, different things are created, such as like town halls with, with, where they might talk about health. Um, there could be some training on sustainable farming practices, uh, microfinance management, setting up a micro business, uh, lots of different things that can happen then around that event. Um, and then typically the event goes so well that there's another one a few months later and, and again, some further education happens. And so I was really fortunate to be able to spend a couple of weeks um, in Kigali with Aquos and um, their key challenge was actually being able to um, sustain their, their business model. They'd spread out across uh, Rwanda. They had more than, uh, more than a dozen different communities that, that basically um, created like a, a train-the-trainer model. So where they'd had more than a few events, there was then a local a champion that, that was there creating, um, you know, more resources and more events and, and keeping the movement going. But they had no means of income. And so uh, basically I had two weeks to go and figure out how to try and um, help them make some money in, in an ongoing way. And, and uh, I was fortunate to be able to get a meeting with the Bank of Kigali um, leveraging some some Western Union connections, and um, that actually resulted in in us learning that they had a huge issue with um, retaining their female staff who were uh, not returning from to work following having children. Okay. So you know, we're able to wrap a program around that, and um, you still use sport as as a sort of key connector, and and that's something that's been able to help um, fund Aquos and, and help them start to. Um, yeah, stay stay afloat. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I, I assume you know, in a in a senior leadership role in a busy corporate like Western Union, you know, you're having to sort of put your hand up and go through sort of an application process for something like this. So, I suppose what was the what was the sort of the the junction or the sort of the the trigger point? You know, I suppose where did the sort of the passion and the energy come from? for you to decide that this was something that you wanted to go and get involved with as opposed to just gunning for the next quarterly target full front? Yeah, well, uh, it's actually a program you get nominated for. Okay. But Western Union is a very mission-led company. They're, they're all about serving the underserved um, and you know, using a financial transaction as a way to um, basically they say move money for better. So whether that's you know, enabling education or um, finding medical assistance or for a remote worker to be sending money back home to their family. And, and in the area I was in, which was in business-to-business -business payments, it was you know, how do we keep commerce going? How do we um, help smaller businesses get the sort of service that a larger bank provides to a corp, to an enterprise? And so typically the people there are, are quite focused on, on that and, and really do believe in it. Um, and that's why the Western Union Foundation and so forth is, is quite prominent. And so, yeah, being nominated for something like that was um, obviously a great honour. And then, you know, going through the process, it, it just becomes so exciting. You, you kind of get to nominate the part of the world that you'd like to um, work with, the sorts of fields that you're interested in. And that's where I was able to nominate sport as being something I would like to try and, and get involved in. And, and then just to continually narrow down to then find your match. Um, by the time it comes around, it was just chomping at a bit to, to get into it. It's, um, it's a really great process. 
No, that's great. I mean, that's so an assumption of mine, you know, proved incorrect there. But in many ways, that that you know, it's probably you know, sort of even better, you know, sort of that you, know, you got draw, sort of drawn into this, you know, presumably by your team or by customers or you know, sort of by those that were were leading you. That this, you know, this is something that you know, sort of you, you, you would benefit from and that the, you know, the business would put you through. So I'll, I'll sort of use the same, the same experience and ask a different question. What, what would be the greatest leadership learning that you took out of the experience? Oh, definitely resilience. Um, okay. And the ability to use the power of communication. So the uh, Felicity, who was the, the founder, had just persevered for, for so long um, to, to make this come to life and then to sustain it. She just made it her life. Um, but then watching how effective she was at communicating to an audience that initially were very sceptical, um, you know, they'd be going into a community where really they're, they're shaking up cultural norms. Uh, so it's one thing to go and try and pitch a product to people that sort of understand the product and, and they're weighing it up against other product options. Very different to go into a, a community and, and start to present a completely different way of living your life uh, and sort of flipping the social norms on their head uh, in terms of the role the female will play in, in family life. And so seeing her stand in front of you know, an entire township and speak um, and then actually being given the opportunity to, to then step up as well and, and sort of say my piece, um, which was sort of unscripted and, and spur at the moment, but a great opportunity um, you to see how how much can be done just through really clear, uh, clear messaging. She never deviated from her message about you know, just the importance of, of what she was trying to achieve and where where this could take those communities. It ended up being not just about the women, it was about the community. And so towns would get behind it. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And I mean, again, you know, in this present moment, I think we're all very much living the consequence of, you know, sort of clear, clear communication or not, as the case may be, uh, you know, from the, the leaders, you know, who, are, who, who we're sort of dependent on. So... Just you know, sort of coming back again to the immediacy, coming back to you know normality, as it were. You know, in, in that moment, coming back to corporate life and back to the Western world. How did you then apply that insight and that learning about you know the the, the critical, you know, sort of uh, you know, sort of um, application of, of clear communication and perseverance? So, I mean, perseverance was was kind of easy because there were things that, um, or there are moments where the pressure would would be starting to build, and then you'd feel it. And um, they they gave me a, a couple of um, sort of local gifts as I was leaving, and one of them was a picture that I put up uh, across from my desk. And so, whenever whenever say the numbers quite weren't where they needed to be, or there was an issue with a particular customer that needed resolving or, or whatever. Um, I just needed to look at that and know what real struggle was. And it just immediately helped give me perspective and I could just take a breath and, and, and get on with it. Um, in terms of communication, I think it's, it's something that you just got to continue to be working at because of the way technology changes and the way people change how they receive information 
uh, and also across cultures as well, how different cultures receive information. Um, and, and I think that's sort of more important now than ever. I mean, now that in this current environment, everything happening through live streaming, um, all of a sudden that, that face-to-face connectivity is down and people happen to collaborate um, and sort of push for results, so to speak, through a computer screen. And that's, that, that can't be done in, in the traditional way. And so I think we're seeing leaders start to adapt and realise that um, it's okay to give people a bit of personal space and, and for people to realise as well it's okay to let a little bit of themselves into the conversation or into the workspace and sort of more humanise the environment. Uh, and that, that's allowing that greater understanding of each other is allowing for communication to actually in some ways become easier, um, potentially for more things to get done, but, but certainly for there to potentially be the potential for greater balance because people feel less... Um, uh, less guilty, I guess, about saying, oh, look, I need to just step out and sort out the kids for a moment. People understand that there's a, there's a life outside of work. And so I think the, the way people communicate through this, this COVID piece is, is really going to change, um, you know, how, how we, how we manage teams going forward. No, I, I agree. I think, yeah, there's certainly a lot, you know, sort of already been put out by, you know, sort of the more academic, you know, sort of uh, perspectives on work. You know, around, you know, I've even seen, you know, sort of very early on, you know, the term sort of BCV and A, you know, sort of CV, you know, that there is going to be this, you know, sort of view of this is life and work before COVID and this is life after. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the very accurate, you know, sort of observation that, that you have there is that, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost been a rehumanising of the workplace, you know, sort of, in this, we hope short term, you know, bringing our digital, you know, sort of work life into the home uh, out of, you know, sort of basically sort of safe practices um, in a way is actually sort of very, very uh, potentially cathartically breaking down this construct that we've gotten into, you know, the last, you know, especially sort of, you know, probably 200 or so years, you know, sort of pre-industrial revolution of this great separation of life and work Um you know, and that, you know, we've kind of taken work at a, at a sort of craft level out of the community and it's been increasingly separated. And then we've got the, you know, literally the fabric of, of our geography is that's where, you know, sort of work happens and this is where life happens. Um, and yeah, potentially those barriers are going to be permanently eroded. But I think the question will then be, okay, well, can we make that for good? Or is that going to sort of, negatively increase the sort of the permeability of, of of work and life and will that erosion you know sort of be 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 less beneficial you know sort of as as we come you know sort of post kv or cv um just just on that i think it's very important for leaders at the moment to um just pause and reflect on how effectively they are communicating and actually engaging their, their teams and their people because there's just so much uncertainty and uh and to a, to a degree fear as well. And so some of the things that would be happening face-to-face, like a little bit of general chit-chat or um, a more of an informal catch-up and even a how you're going, um, they don't necessarily happen through the streaming because sometimes the meeting gets set and it's, it's straight to business. And I think it's going to be really important for leaders to um, just 
pause before starting a meeting and actually make sure they take the time to kind of humanize that start and actually check in and even make the time separately to check in with each team member because um, that 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 human piece that it's just so important people still need to feel connected and valued uh, and safe as well no absolutely and and again now more than ever you know sort of those you know, those sort of hygiene factors need to be appreciated and not assumed um and certainly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a practice that, uh, you know, sort of I've been, you know, sort of ever more focused on and, and you know, deliberately having a, a sort of an explicit well-being check, you know, sort of either at the beginning or as, a, as an explicit sort of, you know, pause, we're going to do this now, you know, as part of a sort of a longer flow, uh, you know, with the, with the team at 4i. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's, it's a, it should be a mandatory uh, and mandatory because it's recognised as productive and beneficial for everybody, you know. Um, especially the leader. Um, so, if I could ask you an explicit question, um, yeah, what, 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 what? I suppose what significance do you feel leaders have? You know, when we look at you know, sort of the the movement to try and make things better and make the world better, especially you know, in this moment we're in today. I think it's the responsibility of leaders now to um, to really lead from the front. So, and by that, I don't mean. Um, you know, banging away at, at KPIs and and sort of pointing at how people are progressing in their roles. It's actually being okay with stepping into the unknown a bit because it's, it is an environment where it's kind of new for everyone. Um, it's uncertain for everyone. And, you know, so I think a little bit of um, the vulnerability is, is actually going to be quite powerful because, again, it just further humanises the leader and people will, will actually be okay with someone saying, well, we're going to try a meeting this way, for instance, and they have, we're going to, this is the reason we're going to try it, and uh, it may, may work, might may not, but here's, here's why we're going to give it a go this way. Um, and also being okay with saying, oh, I'm not sure, I don't have the answer at the moment. I think these are things that, that are quite important for a leader. And, and in terms of um, growth and opportunity, it's for those businesses that are fortunate enough to be in a, in a situation where they can be staying and take a really forward looking view, there's definitely going to be uh, lots of opportunity back out there. And it's a matter of um, trying to create the vision where a team can really get behind that and, um, and really focus on bringing that to life. And, and on the flip side, the businesses that are really fighting for their lives, it's, it's how do we rally the troops and, and make sure we've got a team that's, that understands exactly what we need to do um, to get through this, that it is short term, that we can get through it, and that the business is there to support the team and the people. Um, and you know, through that, that, that's certainly going to create a level of trust and, and loyalty from, from teams that will then help take that business forward as we come out the other side. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just sort of doing my chronology in my head here. So you would have been you know, sort of at Western Union or at TravelX, but certainly in financial services during the GFC, right? Yes, yeah, I was at TravelX. Yeah, so so you know that was a you know, significant you know sort of crisis moment. Um, you know, for everybody, you know, that, you know, particularly in financial services, it, it was a really sort of devastating wave. So, you know, through that time, and you know, you as a as a sort of a less you know sort of established leader, then like what, what would have been the best piece of advice that you received during that time that you might now sort of wrap up in your own way and uh, and pay forward for anyone who's dealing with the survival situation at the moment. Um, it was very clear communication from the leaders above me, 
Yeah. Um, so we knew exactly what was expected of us. Uh, we knew where things were tightening and why. And um, meetings actually opened up and involved more people. And so um, typically some pieces of information that, that would have taken two or three meetings, it, all of that got scrapped. It was let's get the people we need in the room right now here's the situation as it's unfolding and here's what we've got to do about it. And so um, in that context for us, it was around managing client credit um, and making sure that the people weren't going to find themselves in massive amounts of debt and so forth, um, that people were managing exchange rates appropriately because there was just so much volatility and, and trying to mitigate risk for, for our clients. And so, um, through that, the lesson for me, and I was really fortunate to be working with probably one of the strongest leaders I've ever worked for, Kerry Agiosotis, um, just really clear communication. Myself, um, personally, I knew exactly what was expected of me. That made it very easy for me to then further communicate to my staff and for us to be able to um, deal with our clients. And it was often, you know, it was you know, multiple times a day, um, messages, updates, and... Um, you know, normally it would, it would sort of seem too much, but at the time it was perfect because we were just always on it. And um, you know, we came out of, out of that with, um, we actually won an award in the year following for um, the, uh, we were rated the best provider in Australia in terms of customer service. And, and we actually had grown our market share. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So a very clear and telling example from an outcome perspective of if I, try and summarize and you know sort of correct me if i get this wrong but it, yeah if i could summarize that that sort of advice in terms of clarity of communication transparency of information and inclusion of as many people as you know sort of you need and you can you know sort of in any decision making framework that that really is the best way to to not only survive but actually grow through through a crisis yeah absolutely i think you can wrap all of that up in, in empowerment once we knew exactly the, the environment we could operate within and how far we could take things um, and, and where we had to draw the line, we, we just ran as fast as we could within that. Okay, okay. So just building on that and, and continuing this sort of advisory phase of the conversation, you know, what are the, the sort of actionable steps that, that you would sort of recommend leaders could take, you know, especially if they're going to take this volition of trying to make the world better? Um, when it may, maybe feels for a lot of people like the world's fallen apart? Um, it's probably my first one is probably something that it, it may be starting to sound a little bit cliche, but it's all around growth mindset. And uh, I think a lot of people think they have one, but the moment you really start to, to get into a conversation with them or, or even help people understand the sorts of things going through their own head, um, you know, they're, they're can be quite limited by their own beliefs or certainly biased by them. And so I would, one of the first things I would recommend uh, leaders and especially new leaders do is to start to learn more about growth versus fixed mindset. Uh, it, it can just completely open up your willingness and potential to learn, which um, is probably the second thing. It'll always try and be learning um, and it can certainly change your outlook and the way you start to see opportunity um, the other one I think is, is make sure you provide yourself with a balanced environment. Um, I was certainly guilty of, of burning the candle at, at both ends, uh, with lots of travel and, um, and really just sort of working all hours nonstop. 
And uh, I, I just learned through experience that actually the more balanced I became and by staying home and having breakfast with my kids rather than being in the office at 6.30 in the morning, uh, I actually got more done and I actually enjoyed life more and I became a better leader um, and the world didn't fall apart. And so finding that balance, being okay to, to say to the people around you that you've got to go pick the kids up from school or you've got to go and play footy because it's something you still do and it's still really important to you and it, it helps you relieve stress, whatever it is, um, I think it's really important to, to make sure you have balance as well. So I would say growth mindset, keep learning and find balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you know, um, another one of the guests who's going to be coming up on the podcast soon, Zoe Routh, um, you know, she has a you know, sort of a great phrase around the growth mindset being an outcome of being open to learning rather than sort of being a starting position. Uh, that That's often the way it's described, certainly in a lot of the more, you know, sort of, shall we say, absorbable, you know, sort of business literature, have a growth mindset and good things will happen. Or in actual fact, it's the reverse. You know, it's only through saying, I don't know, but I'm going to find out, or I'm not sure how this is going to work, but we're going to try it because... And then it is that sort of stumbling and that falling and that getting back up and recovering from injury, um, you know, and being open to new experiences like, you know, learning how to communicate, you know, from a woman in a township in Kigali. Uh, that's what becomes a growth mindset. That's right. And, and being okay with failure. And you know, like I said earlier, I was someone that had a, a really big fear of failure and um, suddenly just the, the different perspective and the way you see that and the opportunity that it presents, it, it just opens things up and um, really does create much more uh, room for growth. Yeah, superb, superb. And Simon, you, you, you work sort of hands-on you know, as, a, as a mentor, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I do. It's something that um, I've been keeping myself busy by. So I work with a couple of fintech startups um, supporting them and um, I'm also a mentor on Mentor Loop, um, which is where people can, can contact me for specific advice. Um, and I've started to take that a step further. So following the this poorly timed sale of my business, in retrospect, of course, um, and then effectively finding myself on the wrong side of employment through through COVID, um, I've actually decided to set up a new uh, platform where people that, that have become unemployed as a result of business downturns um, can actually register and uh, create a profile and make themselves available for businesses that need a lot of help right now. Um, there aren't a lot of, um, of jobs going around at the moment, especially in the more, more senior level um, and in professional services. And so I think it's a great opportunity for businesses that need help to get uh, pro bono support from people that, that have the time, they have the skills and potentially this is a, you know, a new avenue into the next role. And so, that's called uh, raisedhand.me. Um, it'll be launching by the time this goes to air. And I'd encourage anyone that uh, knows of someone that, that has experienced uh, a loss of a job to, to go and register and certainly any business that, that needs some support to go on there and, and see if um, there's someone with the right skills that, that they need that's willing to help them for free. No, I think that's just absolutely fantastic. You know, obviously perfectly perfectly timed and, uh, you know, very sort of poignantly benevolent 
you know, sort of uh, endeavour that you've put there. So, yeah, absolutely. By the time this goes goes out to the world, uh, racehand.me will be, you know, sort of open both for people who are essentially looking to, to share their capability and donate their time and their skill set. And, you know, for companies and, and organisations, uh, are we saying in Australia or globally? I mean, what, what's the, the sort of the reach that you're aiming for with this platform? Why not globally? Let's say globally. <laughs> Universal. Uh, no, superb. So, yeah, once again, raisedhand.me. Um, you know, go and check it out. If either, you know, you're an experienced leader or executive, you know, with some time you know, on your hands and, and a skill set you'd like to donate, uh, you know, or, a, you know, sort of a business or an organization which, you know, sort of is, is, is really looking, you know, to, to, to receive, you know, some, some contributions from some experienced people who, uh, who, are, who are keen to help. No, I think I think that's beautiful, uh, Simon. Just just uh, I suppose a sort of a final question. Um, what do you love the most about being a leader? I think one of the one of the key things that I love to look back on is is seeing um, people that you've developed and been able to influence the careers of, um, for one, and um, that that's certainly something I find very rewarding. Um, then there's the, the innovations that, that you know, your team um, have, have worked to, to produce. Um, you know, it's never, never just about you. It's, it's collectively what you've done. And, um, you know, I've been really fortunate with some amazing launches that we've, we've done through different businesses and obviously as well as my own. Um, and so, you know, wherever you've got the opportunity to innovate and, and do that with, with your team is, is fantastic. Um, and then I think... Any way where you can give back, and um, you know, I, I personally see leadership as as a service to to your customers, to your community, and, and to your team. And so, you know, it it is always something that I measure myself by is how much have have uh, I been able to contribute back into sort of those three areas from the whatever it is I'm doing at that moment no that's fantastic that's fantastic i think a great a great summary of you and and your outlook and your ethos um so again everybody please check out racehand.me um thank you simon you know for your time and and for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us today and um yeah look forward to seeing more of your meteoric success in the future post covid thanks for having me get on you What a great conversation with what I have to say is a leader unto my own heart. Combining corporate and entrepreneurial experience, but always sticking to his values. I don't know about you, but what really aligns for me, in addition to values, is that message right at the end there about not being afraid to fail and keeping focused on a higher purpose. Let's just reflect in particular on the key themes around how leaders can improve And there's a few points here which Simon focused on in particular off-air as to how he believes leaders can become better world leaders. So the the first one was about learning with what he described as sort of having that appreciation for a growth mindset and and, and taking some time every day to reflect on your decisions. And what Simon said to me is he said, look, chances are you're actually limiting your impact through things like negative self-talk, and long-held beliefs and essentially a fixed mindset and that in, in, in just a daily reflection you can start to change and open yourself up to a bit of experimentation and learning. The second point is exactly that, to always be learning, to be curious and that when you're asking questions, both of yourself and your team, 
to genuinely seek the answers. And I thought I thought that was just just great. And then finally, to provide yourself with a balanced environment, and that means enough sleep, exercise, laughter, and work, but it can't be all work. And as I like to at the end of each episode, I'm going to put my hand up, I'm going to raise my hand and say that there is that last point, that's the one that I'm going to take and I'm going to carry and, and, and use to improve my leadership because I had a call out quite recently from my advisory board that, that I wasn't getting that balance right. And I think generally <laughs> sort of leaders and, and in particular entrepreneurial leaders, but especially at this time, you know, in this moment with the complexity, you know, and the confrontation that we experience with the lack of certainty, you know, it, it's very easy to just work, just be busy, but to be busy is, is, is simply moving. It's not necessarily progress. And I think you need that balance. You need that respite and you need that reflection so that you can restore, you can refocus and you can ensure that you are making progress not just moving. So just a quick reminder that those of you who are out of work and willing to donate your time virtually or in person uh, to startup businesses that are seeking help on a voluntary basis, um, you can find each other at, uh, at raisedhand.me um, and the, the, the link there uh, is in the show notes for you uh, and you can find out more about and connect with Simon uh, through his LinkedIn profile which I've also included in the show notes so once again thank you for joining us I look forward to hearing any comments and feedback you have and to seeing you again at the next episode of Better World Leaders as always, thanks and appreciation to the team that brought this episode and supporting resources to you. Brendan Ward for production and original composition and performance. Sarasa Design for logo and site graphics and Knock Knock for website design and management. You can find audio and video recordings as well as links and related resources mentioned today and on each episode at betterworldleaders.4iLeadership.com. This is the Better World Leaders podcast brought to you by 4i Leadership.